We are, uh, we are in week four of a series entitled Uncertain. Uh, everything that we're going to talk about, all the scriptures and different highlights, we're going to have projected on the screen behind me. You can follow along with you version if you'd like to do that. Um, and I'm sure that there's that information for you if you need it. But we're going to begin a, uh, we're going to begin, we're in step number two of our four-week series. So let me get right to the message today. In this series, we're going to discuss four different versions of God that do not exist. Did you hear me? In this series, we are going to discuss four versions of God that do not exist because they're fabrications. They're fabrications that people want to, be, that people want to believe about God that are not true. They believe this about God, and it's not true. And so what we're trying to do with all of this is to help us to understand what is the truth behind that. So there are many people, I believe, that want to come into a relationship with God. But for so many of them, for whatever the reasons, there's a barrier. There's a ceiling. There's some, something that's stopping people from moving toward God because of some of the thoughts and some of the things that have happened in their lives. And, and uh, honestly, honestly, I don't think uh, necessarily, I don't necessarily believe that those same people who are rejecting the God that we see within the Bible are truly rejecting the, the awesome God that we do serve and follow here at Word of Life. I don't believe for a moment they're doing that uh, just because, but what I do believe that they're rejecting is the distorted views of God. So last week, what we talked about, we talked about my on-demand God. If you weren't here last week, you can go to the podcast, then you can hear that. It was a pretty good word, pretty good message. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. Today, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about today, the killjoy God, the killjoy God, the killjoy God. What they wrongly believe, those who are believing that there is a killjoy God, what they wrongly believe is something like this. I want to believe in God, but there's just too many rules. There's just too many rules. I want to believe in God, but I don't want to live my life bored. I don't want to be a boring person. Or maybe another thought is, uh, I don't want to be a dud. I, I, I want to enjoy life. I want to have fun. I want to party. You know that whole no sex before marriage stuff that they say in the church? Forget that, man. I'm going to have myself a good time. I just want to have a good time. Some people say, I want to believe in God, but with all of those rules, all of the rules, it just doesn't seem that, like there's any benefits coming my way. My life is going fine just the way it is. Why should I follow God who tells me to do this, who tells me to do that, when it's really going the way I want it to go? I don't need God. I don't want a God who's going to give me all these rules, is what they say. Listen, my friend, listen, it's you who is declaring that our God is a killjoy God. It's you who think that. But I'm here to tell you right from the get-go of this message today, God is not a killjoy. Let me say it again. God is not a killjoy. Now, you know, there... Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the brightest bulb in the pack, but, you know, I like to check things out. I know what killjoy is, but I decided to go to Mr. or Miss Google, whoever they are, and uh, check it out to have it defined for me what a killjoy is. Here's what a killjoy is. A killjoy is a drag, a grinch, a party pooper. A killjoy is a spoiled sport, a wet blanket, someone that spoils all the fun. A killjoy is a bore, a drip. Uh, a stick in the mud, a fuddy-duddy, yawn. That's what it says by Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Google. That's what they say it is. And the last thing our God is, the last thing he is, and he is not it at all. He is not a killjoy. 
Our God is not a killjoy. So I want to enlarge in your thoughts toward God this morning in this message that I want to give you today. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, go with me there. Again, projections will be behind me, but if you want to follow along, you can do that as well with killjoy. Uh, with killjoy. <laughs> Zoom. Anyhow. With Killjoy, you can figure this out with Killjoy if you want to try to do that, I don't care. But anyhow, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus, the Son of God, is speaking. Enter by the narrow gate, he says, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find that. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says to us, every one of us, Every person on the planet, whether they know it or not, and I believe the majority of them do not know it, but the majority, of uh, uh, every one of us, humankind, are on one of two paths. Jesus says they're either on the wide path or they're on the narrow path. Jesus tells us pointedly, the wide path leads people to destruction, is what he says. It leads them to destruction. Destruction in this life here on earth, as well as destruction forever being separated from God. Because you've chosen not to follow him. You've chosen not to believe on him. And then Jesus, he talks to us about a narrow path. And Jesus says, relatively few end up on that path. Relatively few. Few are on that road that leads to life and life to the full. Now, as I'm introducing this message today, and as I'm speaking to you, I'm assuming that some of you have some thoughts going around in your head. You may be thinking some thoughts like this, wide path, probably, probably the wide path is crazy fun. Probably the life, the, the, the wide path is filled with sex and parties, good looking babes and uh, good looking dudes as well. Narrow path, narrow path, really? Yeah, that must be lifeless. That must be boring. That life path must be, that must be uh, religious. That narrow path must be a real drag. Get me out of here. No, you're wrong if you're thinking that. If I was just sort of saying some of the things that are in your mind right now, I'm here to tell you, you're wrong, you're wrong, because God is way bigger than all of that. God is way bigger, way bigger. One of my favorite verses to go to is 1 Corinthians 2.9, and it says something like this. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart. Let me read it to you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, uh, no mind has imagined the things that God has in store for those who love him. In other words, he's beyond our, our comprehension to figure out who God really is. He's bigger than what you're talking about. So today, what I want to talk about, my message today is living a wide life on a narrow path. Living a wide life on a narrow path. Just so you know, just so you know, when Jesus says the word narrow path, when Jesus says the narrow road, Jesus is not saying narrow-minded. He is not saying narrow-minded at all. People miss out on so much of life because they are so focused on self. We are all so focused on ourselves. People think of themselves. And this, there is so much self in the way that we live our life that oftentimes, oftentimes, we miss out on the most important things that God wants to do with us, that God wants to do for us, what God wants to do with us. So let's go a little bit deeper. We're going to go deeper in steps as we go along today. Jesus talked about the wide path that leads to destruction. My friend, in all sincerity with you today, if you are on the wide path, what Jesus is saying is something like this. Life does not end well for you. It doesn't end well for you. And it's not because God's mad at you. It's because you're rejecting him. 
You're not receiving him. You're not believing in him. You're not giving God a chance. You've made a decision that this is the way it's going to be. And Jesus, the son of God, he says, the wide path, the people who live on the wide path, life doesn't end well for them. But Jesus then talked about the narrow path, the straight path. And he says, that path leads to life. It leads to to life, to the purposes of God. So let me be the first to say this to you today about some believers and followers of Jesus. Did you hear what I said? Listen to me. Be cued into what I'm saying right now. Let me be the first to say this to you about some believers and followers of Jesus. Let me set the record straight. Listen to this. Way too many Christians, way too many people, they don't just walk on a narrow path and a narrow road. They also live a narrow life because they have a narrow mind. Please don't be mad at me. Well, go ahead and be mad. It's it's okay. Because it's the truth. And I want you to be free of this. I don't want you as a believer to be one who's walking around with a narrow mind. I don't want you to do that. Today, I want to encourage you to live a wide, uh, a wide life on a narrow path. To live a wide life on a narrow path. Let me share with you a story that I have. I want to give you two stories today. If you know me at all, if you've been around any length of time, uh, most of you know that I'm, I'm a car guy. In other words, I love anything that has wheels and a motor in it. I just, I love it. And uh, I've always been a card guy. Back in 1987, it was October 1st, actually, of 1987, Marianne and I and the kids, we ended up moving to West Point. And uh, I had just sold my home, and I had some profit from the sale of my home and uh, went to move to where I did. And so what I ended up doing when we got to West Point, shortly after I got there, anyhow, uh, time after I got there, um, I bought a 1975 Corvette. Um, so I was re- it was my first Corvette, and I, I was just tickled pink like a little kid at Christmas morning. Um, it needed a lot of work, but I didn't care because I love doing that kind of stuff. So that's, that's my thing. So not only was I a chaplain at West Point representing the Assemblies of God and all of that stuff, but I was also a pastor of a church. We planted, my wife and I, we planted a church in Highland Falls, New York, which is at the gate of West Point. And uh, it was very, very, there was nobody there when we got there. The first three Sundays, nobody was there at all, except for my wife and four kids. Um, but anyhow, we planted the church, and, and uh, it ended up that I had a couple of men, a couple of mentors that were, were sort of helping me and, and helping me along with some of the things, dealing with the community, whatever may be, whatever may be going on. And uh, one of those men, his first name was Jim. And uh, Jim ended up calling me on the phone down the road, you know, he ended up calling me on the phone and he says, I've got to meet with you as soon as possible. Now he has never done that before. He's never called me like that. I could tell he was really anxious. And so I got anxious myself and he began to unfold the problem with me. When I got to him, I drove to his house and I'm at his house. And uh, I said, what is going on? And he said, everybody, everybody in Highland Falls is talking bad about you. Everybody, everybody is. They're talking bad about you, really bad. Everybody is saying uh, they have little respect for you. Everybody is saying they'll never go to your church because of what you're doing and who you are. They'll never do that. And, and I'm looking at this guy and I'm saying, why? What did I do? I mean, I really don't know what I did. I'm not trying to be a fool or a goofball. I'm trying to be, what did I do? I don't understand that. Well, Jim kept on skirting. You know, the more, the more I would try to get Jim to tell me more details, the less he wanted to say. But he, he was skirting about it all the time. And I said to them, who are these people? Give me names. I, I want to know these people. Who, who, give me their first name. I'll figure out their last name. Tell me who these people are. I'm, I was so very concerned. And I kept on digging. And he kept on saying, everybody in Highland Falls. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And so, um, actually, actually, it wasn't everybody. 
Actually, actually what it was was two people. And one of the two people was Jim himself. And they met at the Grand Union in Highland Falls. And they're out doing their shopping and there's a older man that is with them and with him and uh, that met up together. They knew each other. Jim's been a part of the community forever and all that stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, um, while they're at the grocery store, they start talking about Randy Chiz, the new pastor in town. And, and uh, the fact that, you know, he's got this church and got a Corvette and all this other stuff. And, and, uh, and it ended up that he said to me, they have no respect for you at all. They have no respect for you. And I couldn't comprehend what the problem was. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't connecting any of the dots. And um, Jim ended up telling me that it was him and this guy that were, were the ones doing the talking. And really what that means, and I, can, I understand it now, but what's happening is, is that my mentor is gossiping about his pastor. You know, saying whatever, agreeing with whatever without defending me or letting me give an answer to the accusations that are coming my way. And, uh, and I told him how much I... I resented that from him. You probably know this, not in your notes, but in Proverbs chapter 16, 28, it says, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. And Jim and I were good friends. This guy, I loved that man. And he loved me, I thought, until this day, until this thing happens. And he said to me, do you know why they've lost all the respect for you? And I says, I can't figure it out, man. I don't know why. He says, because you bought a 1975 Corvette and it's painted red. And I, I started laughing. I thought that this was a joke. I said, what are you saying to me? And he says this. He says, well, it's worldly. It's a worldly thing that you have. It was self-indulgent for you to do that. Well, I know what self-indulgent means, but I wanted to look it up with Mr. and Mrs. Google again. And so when I looked it up, excessive, here's what excessive says with Mr. and Mrs. Google. It's excessive uh, uh, indulgent means to be excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetite, desires, and whims. Excessive or, uh, excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's appetites, desires, and whims. I, I wanted to respond in a very worldly way when I began to understand what this guy was telling me. I mean, I was really getting angry. So angry that I said to Jim something like this, how dare you? How dare you not give me the opportunity to talk to this 80-year-old guy, whoever he was, and you without doing that. Not only have you talked bad about your pastor, not only do I feel hurting, but there's a chasm now between you and me. I, I, I don't know if I could trust you again. I mean, this may be extreme, and this wasn't a two-minute meeting. This was about an hour-long meeting. And, uh, and I just said, my heart is absolutely broken. I, I don't understand that. As instantly as... I wanted to retaliate and to say to them and to say to him what I wanted to say. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said these words. And that was, Randy, you're bigger than that. Randy, you're bigger than that. Bigger than trying to retaliate in your own way. When I went home that afternoon, I mean, my heart was broken. I wept. I, I, I went home and I, I said to God when I got home, from this point on, I'm going to be a bigger man than that. I'm never going to allow myself to go down to that level and to, to shrink in my, in my ministry and what it is that God has called me to do. And I'm here to tell you that after 37 years of public ministry, I've had a lot of times, a lot of times that I had to say, I've got to get bigger than that. I got to be. Oh yeah, I might as well tell you the rest of the story. I forgot to tell you this, sort of. 
It's in my notes, so I guess I didn't forget that much. But anyhow, at the very same time that I owned the 1975 Corvette, I also owned a 1976 Trans Am that was also painted red. And, uh, and full disclosure now, I might as well just tell you everything. I might as well bear my soul before you. Today, right now, I own a 1968 Corvette, and that's painted red. In fact, it's in the paint shop right now. So you don't need to come and yell at me because you think I'm indulgent and all that other stuff. I've learned my lesson, but I don't care. I'm going to have a car. It's the one thing I love to do, and I'm going to do. Like it or not, that's the way it's going to be. Anyhow, as far as I'm concerned, you need to be a bigger man or a bigger person or a bigger woman than that. You, you need to be a bigger person than that. You need to make a decision right on to the very beginning that you're going to be bigger than those kinds of things because it's amazing how few things can end up ruling your life and can hold you down and can put you, put you on the wrong path and cause you to miss out and even uh, give you a narrow mind of what it is that God would have in store for your life. I wonder what it is right now in your life that would, that would get... Uh, that would get you to get all caught up into a small thing and yet you're making it into a big thing. A small thing that happened, a relatively small thing that is going on, a relatively small thing that's happening and you make it into a big thing. I wonder how many people miss the most important thing that's in that room. Wherever you find yourself, at work, at home, wherever you are, I, I, wonder, I wonder how many people miss that most important thing that's in that room at that particular moment. Moment. Maybe it's a life-changing moment that you would have with someone else. Maybe it's a, a great opportunity that's being presented to you. Or maybe, just maybe, you're making a difference in somebody's life that you're now in their, that place. And I wonder how many people miss the most important thing that's in that room because they are all caught up into some small thing. Some small thing. If only we could learn to be bigger than that. If we could just learn this. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul is saying these words here. Listen to me, and again, it's projected. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, that's pretty good, but let me take it to the Message Bible because it defines it a little bit more with where I'm going today and what I want you to, to hear. Paul says it this way in the Message. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness that you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you are living them in a small way. I am speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open your lives Live openly and expansively. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness that you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. That's what I want from you today. This is what I'm asking for you today. Our God is not a killjoy God. Our God has some amazing plans and think, have some wonderful things that he has in store for us. How sad it is, how small that it is that some, so many Christians live the wide open spacious life that God has called them to in a small way. They live that life in a small way. 
What a sad thing that people confuse a narrow path with a narrow mind or a small life or small thinking and they, they become all bound up when that's not the will of God for us at all, not at all. So my prayer for my church, my prayer for Word of Life is that you would live a wide open spacious life. My prayer is that, that God would take you from whatever that natural limitation that you have Whatever that area of insecurity, those things that you may not be the best at. I, I, my prayer is that God takes you from whatever that nat uh, natural limitations would be. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would enlarge you. He would increase you. That God would stretch you and takes you beyond the boundaries that perhaps you, you never thought that you would be able to see possible in your life. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54, love this verse, love this. Verses two and three, enlarge the place of your tent, Isaiah says the prophet. Now this is God speaking through it. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit nations and make the desolate cities uh, inhabitable is what uh, the prophet is saying. In other words, your life is too short to just live it small. Your life is too short to live a small life and not to live a large life. I don't know who's mentally. I don't know who, what spirit. I don't know what thing is trying to rob you at this particular moment and get you to live your life in some small way. But I'm sure for many of us in this room, at some particular areas of our life, we are hearing something. We are feeling something that's keeping you and I back. But I believe the word of the Lord, that, that same word that came from the prophet back some few thousand years ago is the same word for us right here at Word of Life today. It's time at Word of Life. It's time for you to enlarge the boundaries of your tent. It's time for you to stretch the cords and strengthen your stakes. It's time to realize that God's will for you is to stretch to the left and to stretch to the life, to the right and to be as far reaching as you can possibly go to make a difference and to change, see the change that God would want to make. Because there is nothing about the purpose in God, of God in your life that is looking to keep you small. God has wonderful plans. Would you give the Lord a round of applause for how good he is? How good he is. There's nothing about the purposes of God that wants to keep you small-minded. Want you to be petty people who are living their lives in a little tiny way. That's not God's plan. That's not what God wants you to do. That's not God's plan for you. I want to share with you another quick story. I have a, had a gentleman, a cadet of mine, when I was at West Point. This, this is a, an amazing story for me. One of my cadets who um, faithfully attended church every Sunday, and uh, every, we did a Tuesday night Bible study, was there every single Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, we were the second largest group at West Point when I was there at that time. The Mormons were number one. We were number two. And, uh, but anyhow, um, I want to talk to you about Tom. But before I talk about Tom, I want to talk to you about Matt. Matt, was, Matt, Matt was, a, was living a wide life on a narrow path, Matt was. From day one, the time I met this guy. What a soldier, what a man. Matt, um, Matt, Matt lived his life that way at West Point. Toward the end of his last year at West Point as a as a senior, ready soon to graduate, Matt and a couple of his buddies got this huge moving of God in their lives to do something to reach more cadets before they leave, 
before they graduate and move on, knowing you probably won't see each other ever again, for the most part. Um, God spoke to them about reaching and winning some more for Christ. So you know, in case you don't know, at West Point, the cadets, they need to report for formation at 9 9, uh, p.m. And they're all counted and accounted for at that particular time. So you also know, um, lights go out at at, uh, 11 p.m. sharp. When the lights go out at the TAC officers and different ones of leadership would begin to go around and check every room. The lights are to be off. You're not to be doing anything. You're to be sleeping because tomorrow you're going to have another tough day. And so that's the way it was. So just so you know, if and when cadets were caught uh, doing after hours, all of this stuff, uh, they really did get in a lot of trouble. They would have, they would have a lot of uh, making up to do. Uh, they were in a lot of trouble. So after 11 o'clock, after 11 o'clock, they're in their senior year, their first season, they're soon to graduate and uh, to head out. Um, after 11 o'clock, the lights would go out, and that's when Matt and a couple of his buddies would go do what they would do to reach some more people for Christ, more cadets. So what they would literally do is put on their BDUs, and they would paint, the, paint their faces black, and everything is black, and they're making their way. They're crawling in some places. They're walking in other places, but what they would do is they would come knock on a door, and they would say, who is it? You know, you, you don't want to talk to them because you could get in trouble just talking to somebody. Uh, and they would, my name is Matt, I want to talk to you about God. Ah, get out of here, you know. But it got to the point, it got to the point that finally uh, Matt got to, to my other cadet by the name of Tom. Tom was, uh, Tom was just a playboy. I don't know how else to describe the guy. Tom was a playboy. He was brilliant, very, very, very smart guy, and he was really good looking. Not nearly as good looking as me, but he was really a good looking, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He was a really good looking guy. The girls went gaga over this guy, and Tom was living a very narrow-minded kind of life is what Tom was living. So it ended up that, that uh, uh, Matt and the, the couple of guys that were with him knocked on the door and um, by the way, just so you know, uh, before this, uh, Tom never came to church, never went to my Bible studies that we had at West Point, never, was, never showed up. So when Matt knocked on the door, he knocked on the door, and Tom asked, who is it and what do you want? He said, I want to talk to you about God. So all of a sudden, Tom opens up the door, and there he is, and Matt begins to, and the team begin to talk about, Matt begins to talk about what, what God had done to change his life, his own life the things that had happened to him, what, what God did for him, the changes that were made in his life. And he just said to Tom, you need this. You need Jesus in your life as well. Well, Tom ended up having a radical, a radical transformation himself. And he gave his life over to Jesus. And his last few months, a couple of months actually, uh, before he ended up leaving West Point, he was a powerhouse for God. He was just so influential, and he ended up leading many of his classmates to know Christ as Savior. It was an incredible, incredible story. And, and Tom his, himself started living a, a wide life on a narrow path. And Matt and those other guys, those other guys, along with Tom, again, brought many people to know Christ. And these guys excelled as cadets, and they lived, and they ended up living a wide open, spacious life right there at West Point, which is very, very uh, structured, to say the least. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's give a round of applause for that. It's the will of God for you to be bigger than that. That's God's will. It's God's will for you to be bigger than that. It's the will of God for you to live in a wide open space uh, and, and make a difference in the lives of others. 
It's the will of God for you to super succeed and exceed any limitations that could possibly um, put, uh, put, be put on you naturally speaking anyhow. <clears throat> just so you know, just so you know, there will always be those things that would be lining up in your life to take their place in your mind and in your heart that would try to get you to live your life in a small way. Those things always come at us. They always do. So often it happens right there on that front seat on a Sunday morning before I get up here to speak to you. I am assaulted often like crazy. You're not going to get through this. You're going to fumble jumble all over the place. The enemy does his, there's always something out there that is trying to get you and I to live our life in a small way. And if we get too locked into ourselves and ruled by ourselves, it's amazing that when you make life all about you, how much you can miss out on life. When all you think about is you and what you want, it's amazing how much you are going to miss out on life. And I would say to you that there seems to be an attitude or a mentality that comes from our culture. It comes from our society, even from the evil one himself, I believe anyhow, to get you to always think smaller, to try to shrink you, try to, try to limit you as a follower of Jesus. But my prayer for you, the young and the old alike, listen, I pray that for you to aspire I pray for you to aspire to be all that God has called you to be, to aspire, to stand up and to make a difference in the place that you may be at at this particular time or that particular day that you would, you would aspire to, to make a difference. I love what Daniel says. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, he says, he says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The word exploits are bold deeds and daring acts. The people who know their God shall be strong and, and, and carry out bold deeds and, and, and daring acts. I pray for the, for the young and the old alike, that uh, those of you who would aspire, that they will, they will not be ruled by their limitations, humanly speaking, or by their failures of their past, of yesterday and last year's and 20 years ago mistakes that you made. You're not gonna be ruled by them, but that you would step up and that you would be all that God has called you to be, that you would be all that God has called you to be. One of our favorite chapters here in the Bible uh, is Jeremiah 29 here at Word of Life. And we, we find these words in verses 11 through 14. For I know the thoughts that I think to you. By the way, these are not projected. Uh, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope is what God says. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you, God says. He's telling you. He's fishing. He wants you to do this. He wants you to pray. He wants you to call on him. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. He says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, is what he says. That's our promise. That's our promise. There are critical things that are important if we're going to live our lives wide and open in an, in an open way. I want you to look at Jesus. When Jesus came into this world, when he was here, he, was, he dealt with some incredibly small things that could have easily got said to him, forget this, Jack, I'm not going this way any longer. Let me explain it to you this way. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who's the second person of the Trinity. Jesus was conceived by a virgin. Jesus was conceived by a virgin. There's nothing normal about that. In fact, that whole thing is a little bit weird, if you'd just be honest. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it would be shepherds. It would be shepherds that would find Jesus in a barn or a cave, whatever he was in. That would be, it would be the shepherds who would find Jesus in a barn, lying in a manger. The second person of the Trinity, 
lying on a little bit of hay where there's cow saliva and all that other stuff that's all around. Jesus would eventually have to tell his peers who his father is and where his father was. I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I was a 14-year-old. I was a 16-year-old. And I remember making fun of people for a lot less things than that. And here Jesus now has to somehow or another explain who he really was. I'm sure that not, I'm sure that not many people that you personally know, know yourself has gone through that, that they were born of a virgin or their father is God in every sense of the way. It's, we don't experience that. We don't understand that. And if you, if you looked at the life that Jesus lived up into his death, you could never call Jesus narrow-minded. You could never say that Jesus was narrow-minded. Jesus, Jesus confounded the religious people of the day. His first miracle was turning water into wine. But it was the first miracle of thousands, thousands and thousands of miracles that Jesus did. Give me some scripture on that, Pastor, so I can believe it. Okay, go with me to John 21, 25. Jesus also did many other things. Listen to this. If they were all written down, this is what the Apostle John says. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written about his miracles. Whenever Jesus did anything like that, it was, they were super miracles. Jesus was not a killjoy by any stretch of the imagination. You could never say that Jesus was small-minded either. Jesus confronted his critics. Jesus lived his life in a large way. Jesus spoke in terms about the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't just do the simple miracles, the little miracles. Jesus lived his life in a large way. The blind would see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the mute would speak. Jesus would straighten crooked backs by just speaking to them. He would heal the lepers, walk on water. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus was not a killjoy. I say it again and give me an amen when I'm done. Jesus is not a killjoy. Jesus came into this world for people like you and people like me because I needed grace and I needed mercy. Jesus, did, Jesus didn't come for those who had it all together. Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came for the lost. Some of you that are in this room right now, let me change that. All of you who are in this room, you're part of this equation right here that I'm talking about. He came for the broken and the lost, the outcast, the marginalized, the sinner. Jesus always desperately loved those, loved everyone else that everyone else despised. Jesus did not, Jesus did not, Jesus did not live his life on this planet in some small way. And neither does Jesus want you to live your life on this planet in some small way. It's what God wants. Let me tell you what Jesus says to us, each and every one of us. I'll read these quickly in John 14. Verse 12, very truly, Jesus says, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to my Father, John 14, 13, New King James, and whatever, ask, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In John chapter 16, John chapter 15, verse 16, he says these words, Jesus says, you, you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should, um, you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The last and final one is John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. This is my favorite one, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. 
I hope you're seeing that what God is doing, he's not being a killjoy and keeping you from moving forward with his purpose and plan. If you're a killjoy right now, if you feel like you're living in that, it's because of your own fault. What we're finding here is that God is openly, continuously wanting you and I to live in the fullness of everything that he has in store for us. And neither does God want you to live your life in a small way. God is not a killjoy. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, not Corinthians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. And I'm going to read this in the, in the uh, what is it called? The message, the message. Here's what it says. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, the Bible says. So roomy is he, wherever he is, that everything of God finds its proper place without crowding what God makes available for every one of us. There is so much, so much that he has. So spacious is he. God is not a killjoy. He has come to bring life and life to the full is what the Bible says. He's not a killjoy. It is what we've been called to know about God. This is the way he wants us to know him. By the way, Randy Ruiz was with us just three weeks ago. And if you remember, if you were here, when Randy was here three weeks ago, he talked about us praying some big prayers. He talked about us having some big faith and bold prayers that God would do some amazing things. Let me read you this, this note that came my way. On April 22nd, the 19th, 2019, at 2.20, this email came to me from Trudy Basson, who is not only our financial treasurer, but she's also the one who helps lead the prayer chain. There's a couple, three others that are doing this, but this was on the prayer chain. I want you to hear this miracle. This is what Trudy writes. Thank you for praying for John, who was to have a biopsy on his lung today, but it was not necessary. There was nothing there upon which the pre-examination could find. No procedure was necessary. It was gone. Whatever was on the lungs was gone. It was gone. It was gone. Bold prayers. Be bold in your prayers. Pray big prayers. Asking God to do the supernatural. Why? Because the Bible says God is roomy. He's roomy. There's so much room at the cross for everybody. For everybody. There's room for everybody. Every human being on the planet is invited to come to know Christ, is invited to give their lives over to Jesus. He's not a killjoy. Everything of God can be found in him in his proper place in him without crowding, without crowding. Listen, Christianity is not a small message. The gospel is not a small gospel. The will of God is not some small will. The words that God wants to put in your mouth to bring hope to others is no small word that God would want you to say to those family members, those co-workers and classmates and people in the neighborhood, people at the gym, wherever you find yourself. It's no small word. I believe that God wants, wants to uh, live out. God wants you and I to live out our life as a follower of Jesus in, in this wide open spacious life that is designed for me and is designed for you and all the people of God. What I want for our next generation as I close, what I want for our next generation of young people and kids, what I want above all else is that they would encounter 
they would encounter God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Where they would know him in a way that, that they would rise above and dare to believe God and to trust God for whatever he would want to do in their lives. And that they would trend, they would go against the trend of society and culture in this world who are seeking to lure them onto that wide path that leads to destruction. But instead, instead they would take the narrow path with a different set of values, with a different set of priorities, that they would have a different honor system and a different spirit. And, and out of all of that, they would live life large as a believer. That's what we want for our kids. That's what we want for your kids. Having a large love and affection. That deeper love that Jesus has would be experienced. That deeper love that Jesus has for everybody would be experienced by everybody. To have large friendships. To have large relationships. A large heart and enlarged vision. And we become bigger than we've ever been before. Not necessarily only number-wise. I mean, we want to fill this place over a hundred times if we could. Probably would not do that, but we would like to do that. <laughs> but God wants us to become bigger. Because that's the way he's created you and I to be. I encourage you to live a wide-open life on a narrow path.